What's up, everyone? Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the RMR Podcast today, joined by two special guests. I got Ian and Reese from Tella with me. How are you guys doing today? We're good, brother. Appreciate you having us. Doing well, man. Yeah, thank you. Excited to chop it up with you. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So I start every episode out with people's origin story around cannabis. That's just something that we do here. So I'm going to start since we got two guests. I'm gonna, I'll start with Ian first, but just curious, you know, your origin story with cannabis, whether that's personal, personal, you know, you could choose to be vulnerable, share how, however you will. There's no judgment here. Uh, but just curious, you know, how, how you got started with cannabis. Yeah. So personally, uh, you know, cannabis has been part of my life for, for quite a while, you know, previous to when it was uh, legal for me to be uh, partaking, so to speak. But uh, in terms of how it's evolved for me is that it's, it's you know, always been a big part of, of my life and, and understanding where it's headed. And, you know, professionally, we, we essentially started with a pilot program. You know, we'll talk a little bit about that, I'm sure. But we started with a pilot with some dispensaries and we've learned a whole lot through this process and we absolutely love working in the space even though there's there's days that are tougher than others uh but we just see so much value in enhancing the industry as a whole everybody wins every piece of the industry you know can benefit from people collaborating and working together to you know just upgrade up the level you know so that's what my experience with the with the you know cannabis in general has been and and it's become a lot bigger part of my life lately more professionally than anything and i'm just super excited to uh keep pushing oh yeah what about yourself reese man uh you know personally used it as an alternative to uh to pain medication opioids uh in my football career going up in in college you know blew my knee out uh, had team docs obviously prescribing all sorts of different opiates and pills and different things. And I saw all my teammates going down that path and what it led to. And ultimately a lot of substance abuse um, around the, the sport in general. And so I kind of shifted over and decided that I would try <clears throat> to use cannabis as an alternative um, to get through my rehab. And then obviously to use uh, periodically to, to medicate during my career. Um, and then somewhere along the line, ended up with Tela, uh, where now we help cannabis retailers and brands showcase themselves, uh, provide them superior analytics, and just excited to be in the space professionally in general and, and get to rub shoulders with all these great individuals moving the space forward. And yeah, man, that's, that's where I'm at with it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys for sharing this. That's, that's one. I, I like to these off with that question because I think uh it's just interesting to see how people came to this industry very few people can be like oh, i was professionally around cannabis for 10 years just because this hasn't been a professional thing even the people that may have been doing it at that level it's not quite an industry or professional so uh and most people that even did that you know still had some sort of other route that they were taking or career path so uh, I just always love hearing the stories about how people found their way to cannabis. Um, it's, 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 well, I think it's exciting for all of us to be around something so new um, and be a part of the the birth and the growth of something. So you guys can break it down again. I'll start with you, with, with you, Ian, but if you can break, break it down, like tell us background and kind of the, the company's entrance into the space uh, and the space being cannabis yeah. as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, Tella, we're we're about three years old now, um, and we're very much uh, a startup still in terms of how many people we got. We've got a great team. 
Um, what we originally started with was the idea of helping retailers to digitize their physical spaces. So we had a pilot program right off the bat in grocery, saw a lot of great success from that. You know, that's a tough industry for pretty much the opposite reason that cannabis is because uh, it's so old school and, and longstanding in the way they do things. Right. So we we had some good success there. But at the same time, we were also running a pilot with uh, four stores uh, in Colorado and uh, they were called Mesa Organics at the time. They've been since rebranded, but uh, they were down in like the Pueblo area and then rural places. And, and what we did really was help them design a digital experience for their stores, um, you know, and that looked a lot like digital signage and kind of interactive displays, stuff like that. And we uh, helped them design that based on a customer journey that we uh, came up with in terms of when you check in, when you're waiting, when you're in line, sales for point of sale, et cetera. Um, and we designed content specific to those touch points. And then really what came out of that was uh, our first proof of concept for cannabis when it comes to digital effectiveness. So, you know, the big thing that uh, really powers everything else we do is the business analytics, business intelligence, essentially, um, and really helping these owner operators understand what's going on in the stores and creating those meaningful insights from the data, using those to power any marketing that you're doing, um, helping with the strategy, obviously. And then more recently, we've just been, um, really finding ourselves right between brands and retailers uh, and really helping them to connect them to be able to be able to better collaborate around the data side of things. So everyone's doing better. Everyone has a better understanding of what's moving, what's not, you know, and so ultimately where we are today is started in those four dispensaries and, you know, we're up to 37, 38, like it literally changes every day. So uh, we are, growing and we're doing a lot more with uh, both dispensaries and the brand side and and that's kind of the the short and sweet tell a story as much as i can give you <laughs> i love it man i i love it it's interesting to hear that growth and, and and funny that you said you know coming from a space where it's the complete opposite being that it's old it's archaic you know no disrespect to the grocery industry it's just been around for a while it's been established it's everything's set in its ways to you know this industry which like we just said at the start of this is currently being rolled out like a lot of states still don't even have it the states there's a lot of states that only had it for a couple months it's like new york heavily cannabis but they don't have retail experiences quite yet um it's just so fast-paced you know the regulations and every the, the playbook is all being writ right now you know wrote right now as we do it yeah yeah and so for for you reese out, out there uh you know pounding the payment as as the national sales director um, how has it been and, and, and what are your experiences with customers and kind of their challenges and the, the, the varying degrees of challenges that, that retailers face again, with how kind of fragmented this market is from, uh, you know, these new States that have been online in these States like California that may have had legal cannabis for a few years, but have had some form of legal cannabis for much longer. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing to start off with is every market's different. Um, every market's been completely different from the last and, uh, you know, the California market's a lot different than Washington, a lot different than Oregon, a lot different than New Mexico or Arizona or Colorado. Every market seems to have its own niche. Uh, but on our side, you know, what we're hearing from brands and operators, retailers, dispensaries seems to be the same thing. Um, everybody wants the ability to showcase. 
either their vertical brand or their brand within retail locations. And everybody wants to have the ability to understand how their product or their location or district or region is performing. Um, you know, there's a lot of great broad data out there for sure, but we're seeing a much larger need on the side of smaller, granular, more focused data to help drive superior business intelligence decisions. Um, you know, if you look at an MSO, you know, similar to a, a Schwaz or a True Leave, you know, they may want it to separate it by state or region. Uh, but if you're looking at, you know, a local retailer that may have five or six locations, they want to have the ability to understand that local level, like each store, store by store, to better understand the products they're carrying, what's moving, what demographic it's moving to, how to position their products, and then how to, you know, guide their business intelligence decisions on the back end of that. Um, so we're seeing this need, and, and like Ian mentioned earlier, we're finding ourselves positioned in this, this awesome spot. Uh, between brands and retailers and helping them connect the dots between each other. Um, you know, for a large brand, it's great because it helps them scale and grow and have solution sets that they can turn on all over the country. And then for a smaller brand that's beginning to grow and understand their product, it allows them to understand who the, who's buying their product and who they're actually selling to, right? So that uh, is what I'm seeing on the pavement. That's what I'm hearing every day. And Tela is is committed to to providing those solution sets. So, yeah, and I think uh, that's great, Reese, because you know to bring it even back to grocery for a second, Mitch. Right, like what we're starting to look a lot like is shopper marketing, which is a total grocery term, right? But it's essentially how the CPGs work with the retailers and how they execute on merch and display and marketing, etc. And so what we're seeing is that piece of the industry really start to grow, especially in states that are a little bit more of an open free marketplace versus states like, you know, Florida, where it's vertically integrated and, you know, it's a very closed wall type of thing. But in other areas where you've got a lot of brands that are independent brands, you know, fighting for shelf space, fighting for brand awareness, ultimately, obviously fighting for sales, market share, etc. You know, we're seeing this as a really, really valuable piece of the industry that ultimately isn't designed to you know, make sure that the big boys crush the little boys. It's more about like everyone gets a shot and, you know, it's becoming more innovative and there's just so much fun, cool stuff to work on there that, that we're really excited about. So back to grocery, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting, but no, you're, you're right. And I think, you know, looking at industries like that, that are so established and very competitive, right? Like you look at like a chip aisle, right? It's very competitive. There's only a few brands and everybody knows all the brands because it's it's super mature and obviously is a little bit not necessarily comparable to cannabis in certain regards. But from yeah. a CPG standpoint, you know, how do you stand out in a sea of all these packages that look the same? How do you and, and also with chips, you also see people pop up the end cap displays and in the other aisles and next to the pair that next to the barbecue, uh, you know, your barbecue yeah. uh whatever you're using, you know, flipper, I can't even think of the name right now, you know, <laughs> your, your accessories to barbecue with, because if you're going to you be go. grilling, you need some sides, right? And so just that that thought process of product placement and merchandising within a store is already established at those industries. And back to cannabis, you know, when it starts, a dispensary has a couple products, especially in a brand new market, like what New Jersey, I'm sure is seeing what New York will shortly see is you only have a couple products, high demand, the weed does sell itself, right? Once it yeah. gets more competitive, and there's more and the supply kind of matches or exceeds the demand, 
then it gets more competitive on that brand level. And then from a retail perspective, you like now there's just a lot of shit in here and the consumer could come in and be super lost of where do I go? Um, when you guys approach like merchants, merchandising and looking at in stores, um, at what point do you feel like these, these markets are starting to understand or feel that pain point in terms of their maturity? I know you said it varies market to market, vertically integrated might not be there, but as far as these other rec states at what kind of point in that maturation, do you start seeing like a, a real hardcore need for this? Yeah. Um, well, I think Reese will have really good perspective on this too. So I want to make sure Reese, you get, you get your perspective, especially state by state. Right. But I think overall, you know, what, what we're talking about here is really when, you know, the shelf space starts to shrink, right. For, and especially we see it in, uh, you know, states that just went wreck, right. That's a good example of kind of how, how this flows a more current example, I should say. Um, whereas, you know, like New Mexico is a great example. They were pretty much entirely vertically integrated. There were some caveats to it, but, you know, we went in there, um, with, with our clients down there with our Greenleaf and, you know, they have way less skews because it's all the vertically integrated stuff that they have. So they've got a couple different flavors per category and the brand is the brand. Um, and now all of a sudden you're introducing new brands, right? You're getting licensed partners that now have a way to, to produce their product and distribute it in a new state, right? So as that shelf space shrinks, that's when it's even more important for brands and retailers to be able to have a great understanding of their, their data and what's going on with sales and product and, and ultimately to optimize so that everybody kind of wins out of the scenario. So. Yeah. I would say that's the over the general feeling, right? But you know, Reese, I think because you're talking in multiple states and you know talking to people that are really on the ground floor too, I think Reese, you probably have some pretty good perspective on kind of where states sit in in that. I mean, process. you hit it, bro. Like you hit it hard, and and you you talk to a lot of our clients too, so you understand it. And I would say the longer the state's been wrecked, the more challenging it is. I mean, that's obviously the easy way to describe it. Uh, the longer they've been selling self selling shelf space to, um, you know, like if you're seeing like a state of California, for instance, right. They've been selling shelf space for a while. So, you know, that's a very congested uh, retail space down there and any, any store you're in. I mean, I don't care who it is, if it's cookies, catalysts, you know, whoever, right. Um, you're, you're paying a lot to be another CPG package next to a CPG package. Um, and, unless you're really floating good money to the bud tender, you're, you may not get a chance to even have a consumer that walks up and asks about your brand category, talk about your product. Um, and so, you know, we see a lot of saturation in states like California, Colorado, um, you know, those two are really prevalent, Oregon too, uh, Washington a little bit. I, I think the, the older the market though, the adage should be the older the market, and the longer they've been selling, uh, selling shelf space, the harder it is. So that is when I think our solution set really starts to come in and play a huge role for brands in being able to showcase their product in a different way, right? What are you going to do to stand out? Because if, if you think that it's just your packaging or if it's just the shelf space that you bought or that you spiff the bud tender X amount a month, number one, you're wrong. Like you're going to get beat somewhere. And number two, how do you scale that? That's the other hard question. Like how do you anticipate becoming Coke and Pepsi and being nationwide? 
Like it, it's really hard. So when you look at it from a traditional retail standpoint, all we're trying to do is allow brands the opportunity to showcase themselves and be different. And then on the retail side, showcasing brands should in turn give you really high level business intelligence through quality analytics. You should understand every brand in your store, how it moves, who it moves to, when it moves the most, what promo works the best. Um, and that that in turn is, is what we are trying to do. Um, but to come full circle, longer it's been been wreck and the, the more shelf space that's being sold, the longer it's been sold, the harder it is. And you said a few, you said a few things on there. I, I want to do a, a couple spinoffs on, but I'll, I, and so I might have to bring it back to one of them, but or one of them in the future. But but one of them that stuck out is like you know bud bud tenders, right? Like that that's been a big emphasis um, for for people's marketing budgets, marketing spends where they put their energy in is is focused on reaching bud tenders, which has been great. Again, as a market matures, when you start out, you only have a couple doors. You go to your key accounts. That could be everything to your business is establishing that that that. But as you said, Reese, as you scale to three hundred stores in like a state of California, how how do you scale and replicate that and and do those touches? Is it even viable, right, to go do those bud tender things that are way up at the tip of the state and don't push the volume as downtown LA and and it, it's difficult to scale that. Um, but and then you also said something on there about you know if a customer comes in with a question about a specific product that might that's not likely the only product they're going to consume that's not the only brand that they're considering and then even if i'm buying a pre-roll today that doesn't mean next visit i'm not interested in edibles or a beverage or, or, or something else right i've kind of made my mind up of what i'm going to go in and get and the bud tender if i'm coming in interacting with a bud tender about pre-rolls i don't want to hear about, I mean, as a bud tender perspective, I shouldn't just throw out Hail Marys from from left and right unless I'm getting some feedback. But like you're saying, if you display a product, have a brand or a product displayed in there properly, that initiates a conversation. So I'm kind of curious that your your focus or the importance on kind of like how proper merchandising and placement in a store helps initiate conversations that can either convert to a sale then or convert to, you know, brand investigation and then a, a sale further on down the line. Absolutely. Um you know, I think it's all about placement, right? You hit the hail on, nail on the head there. Like it all depends on placement. It all depends on customer path to purchase. Uh, those are all things we evaluate as soon as we look at retail locations. Uh, Ian is, is obviously been doing this for a long time. He's an expert in that, in that side of it. Uh, understanding each store flow and how it's different. Uh, understanding how each layout changes too is huge. Um, and then being able to position and do things and put things in place that again, right. Initiate the conversation or if they don't end up purchasing it, did they have a chance to interact with it to be able to go home and go online and look at the product in further detail, understand that brand and then, you know, drive traffic to, to that brand's website so they can tell their story, right? Like tell a, it should be about a brand being able to tell their story. Like tell a story. That's our, our you know initial mantra. So I'll let Ian take some of this too, because he's he's got a lot on this as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really about you know making sure that you've got an understanding of of kind of where the customer is when you're interacting with them, right? So like, you know, even back to that pilot concept, we had, we identified that all four locations, you know, had a check-in slash lobby waiting area. They have obviously the restricted area, which we started to call the sales floor. 
Um, typically, you know, in small locations, you're in there right away, right? But in a little bit larger locations, you might have a line or something you kind of walk through. So we thought about it from a content perspective when it comes to like where they are in that journey within the store. And then executing on the content side of things, when you're at the point where you're like about to make your decision, right? You, we want to give them the opportunity to be able to have an awareness of what else is in the store. So, you know, speaking back to the, the bud tender part of this, you know, one of the questions early on was kind of like, well, doesn't, why do I need all this digital stuff? Right? Like I have a bud tender and the point is not to replace the bud tender, right? Like what you want to do is help, help the bud tender sell. Um, so you want to make it so that when someone comes up and if they've seen a really cool feature on a, a brand or a product that they hadn't seen before, you know, by the time they get up to that point of one-on-one -on -one interaction with the butt tender, they're saying like, tell me about that. Like I've seen, I saw that, what's that all about? Right. Versus the butt tender having to feel salesy almost right. To say like, you should try that instead of the customer initiating that conversation. And ultimately, then the bud tender gets to serve the role that they should be in, which is an educator, right? And that's something that we hear throughout the entire industry. It's always a big topic, whether it's an older state or a newer state. You've got people all across the spectrum in terms of brand new, first time in the dispensary, out to people that have you know been in the industry before it was a professional industry, right? Like, so you've got all levels you got to account for. And really, what we do is we try to help help not only the retailer, but the brands as well, understand and decide, make a decision kind of where in that journey makes the most sense and is gonna have the most impact, right? So that's kind of how it loops together. And, and really everything that we do if, since day one, we look at something and say, okay, how do we measure that, right? Like how do we measure some success from this? Because it's really cool to have a bunch of digital stuff in the store, but it is what it is it's just cool unless you're trying to think about okay how do i best use this and how is it going to really generate the results that i want and how are we going to measure that and that's really really key to kind of what we do because otherwise it's just an opinion i think right. that digital should go here because that's what i think mm, right? right so that's yeah. key that's big for us and on the on the back side of that too once we have those measurements that we've collected, delivering them to the brand, delivering them to the retailer, allowing them to have access to those insights and cleaning it and giving it to them in a form that is easily understood so they can take the key performance insights and look at them and say, okay, this is what I need to do. Like this, this is what this data tells me. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard out there for brands and retailers, like, yeah, we get data. We get these massive spreadsheets with like <laughs> 120 different insights. And I'm trying to like wrap my head around all this shit. It's like, well, that's 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 great that you have all that. But what good is it if you don't know what to do with it? Right. Like I used the, the adage like yesterday with you, Mitch, I could have the best race car in the world with an amazing V8 in it. But if I don't know how to drive it, am I going to win? Mm. Probably not. You say there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. There it is. And so, you know, and so on, on that point, like, how do you work with people to help identify 
the KPIs that, that they want to see and be able to extract that from the data? Yeah, great question. So, you know, right now, a lot of what we hear is basically when they do get those exports, it's it's literally a point of sale export that just has like all the transaction IDs and it's just the total units moved, sales dollars, et cetera. So that's not super valuable unless you have a way to like slice and dice it a little bit, right? So what we do is we first start off with a question to the brand or retailer in terms of like, you know, kind of what's your goal, right? Like, is it, is it units move? Like it can be anything, whether it's a business strategy that everyone agrees with or not, but we basically say, do you have a goal in mind? And is it like, you're trying to increase your gross margin or you're trying to increase your basket penetration for products on the brand side's a big one. Right. And on the retailer side, it'd be like, how do we increase, you know, because we're talking in store right now, there's a few other ways you could look at like just increasing the store traffic. But on the in-store side, it's like, okay, your store traffic, it is what it is. And you can drive some, some, use some other channels to drive traffic there for sure. But what are you doing? Like once they're there, right? They're there to buy something. So how do we make sure that number one, they're buying what we want them to buy to some extent, right? Like if you have an initiative around a high margin product or really high quality, whatever the, whatever it is. Right. And then we help them design based on that. So ultimately from a retailer perspective, it's like, we want to increase our basket amounts, right? So we want to just say, okay, for every one of our transactions, we want to see a lift in the basket, meaning they added one more item or they tried something new. Um, and from a brand perspective, it usually focuses around the basket penetration piece because ultimately the more baskets that they can get into is a better indicator than just looking at how many units they moved. Cause you don't necessarily know how they moved, right. Just mm-hmm. off a of basic export. So yeah. that's where it becomes really insightful. And it's, you know, kind of, maybe this is a little bit long winded, you know, to your, to your question, Mitch, but like we we work backwards we start with what are you trying to do where are you trying to get then we work backwards out of that to just you know help with the strategy in terms of how we're going to get there and that's what makes what we do measurable absolutely yeah and i'm sure there's that that need to be like hands-on right because understanding everyone's yeah. goal because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different from brand to brand 100%. category you know if a brand is strong in a particular category they're going to likely have different objectives than another category because consumers consume categories differently that's right 100%. so it's it, it's pretty it's pretty fun too because you combine that with uh you know a deeper level or deeper understanding of what the baskets are related to the customer that's buying them so we're talking loyalty right like if you're integrating that with the strategy that we're helping design now you've really got something and now you've really got an understanding of like the personalities within your shoppers and kind of what they prefer versus what they might be open to trying, right? I think there's a lot of natural evolution in terms of products that were on the shelves on day one of legalization versus what's on there now. And there's, it's not just one edible of some sort, one, right? Like you've always had strains and all that, but now it's like, that's moving into all the CPG. So now you've got all these kind of personalized if you will right it's like craft right yeah so i think it's going to be really key too for some of these custom kpis and like shopper behavior as we approach a recession 
because stores are going to have to run leaner and meaner and still make good margin. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have less customers through the door, right? So how do you maximize your foot traffic that you currently have? Um, and our custom KPI tools can definitely help people do that, which, yeah. which is really neat for the industry. Well, I think, you know, for me, you know, as a third party, like marketing agency, advertising, some of the stuff that we do, right. And in, in working with clients, um, you know, one of the things they're always looking at is like, how can I, how can I increase my revenue? Right. And it's part, part, yeah, we need to attract more customers, but part of even understanding that is like looking at their point of sale data, what are is moving the most? And then for me, generally, I, you know, I, I'm not necessarily a retailer, but I'll get an export or the back end of their POS. And it's like, I can organize, but then I have to take it further and ask them, okay, these move really well. What was, did you do collaborative marketing with them? Did you run BOGOs with them? You know, if it's California, did you run BOGOs with them? Did you run promotions with them? I can't just look at the data itself because if you look at the data, it might be vastly skewed. Oh, that sold like hotcakes because it's 50% off. Yep. So yeah, as a retailer, you can't say, oh, we're going to buy more of that because at 50% off, you're making no margin. So yeah. I'm sure you're selling yeah. it, but you need to understand why stuff's selling and what those margins are. So if you could speak kind of from that retail perspective of, of what you guys look at too, from that, that, that business intelligence aspect of further taking that point of sale system and making it not just, you know, what was sold unit count and, and total volume. That's right. And you hit the nail on the head. It's like my favorite example is the BOGO thing, right? So, oh yeah, this product did great. You know, we moved double units while you ran a BOGO. So wonder how that happened, right? But I mean, that's the basic stuff that it's really important to understand and and make sure that those are the type of things that you're looking at. And especially from a brand perspective, you know, they're, when they're outside those walls, they don't have a lot to work with in terms of understanding that level of data, right? And ultimately, it's going to benefit the retailer and the brand if they both can have that insight of why things are moving or what's why things aren't moving, right? Or, you know, the more that there's collaboration there, the less of this kind of discount war, you know, promotional race to the bottom thing that, that people are talking about, because everyone's doing it. So everybody else feels like they need to do it. Right. So I think there's ways to make up for that in terms of having a great experience, you know, and a lot of things go into that, of course. Um, But really also to understand the effectiveness of promos. And that's one thing that we specifically built out within our platform is it's a promotions tab, essentially, that once you have promos that you're running, you can actually look deeper at that data to understand some of the things like we're talking about in terms of margin, basket penetration, stuff like that, so that you can actually determine if the promo is effective or not. And we actually have a use case where we uh, we analyzed a promo for a, a pretty decent sized brand, um, big name brand actually, but essentially they were picking one day of the week that they sponsored that they would do a, a some sort of promo, right? And ultimately what we found was that they, it was sales were flat when you look at it across the board and year over year and all that fun stuff. So it was doing nothing for them and they were giving margin away. They were moving the same amount of product no matter what, right? So ultimately we were able to help them understand that it wasn't a necessary thing the way they thought it was necessary. And right there is a win for the brand and the retailer is selling the same amount. So. You know, that's the kind of thing that that I think really separates you know, 
what's happening or not happening in the industry versus where it's headed is that next level understanding right so you know it is it is what it is there but uh those are the the little things that i think are really important and getting down to that granular level you know and store by store and and really understanding not just as a whole highest level that you can what's going on understanding more granular levels ultimately is where those margins are right and and with this gap right this this, this space between the retailer and the brand right they obviously have to work in harmony because a retailer is nothing without products and brands and a brand's obviously nothing without that unless you know certain dtc cases might you yeah. know might 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 make an argument there but yeah. in gen you know overall overall generalize you know that they, they must work in harmony but there's that they're always at, at some sort of odds for various reasons but one of those is understanding and sharing data right like a, a retail outlet is you know, pretty tight lipped on, on their data. They're not just opening and selling that to some people. Maybe they'll understand, maybe they'll give insight. Hey, you guys move really well, or they're, they're sophisticated enough. Hey, you guys move really well with the BOGOs or, or these strains. So that's what we want. But how do you see brands being able to leverage Tela to, to extract and, and finally get some sort of data from at that dispensary level that they usually are unable to uh, get? You got this one, Reese. <laughs> I knew you were going to pass the torch there. Uh, the, the short answer for that, Mitch, is it's good for everybody. Like, period. Uh, and not to mention, we're not asking for all their data. We're asking for specific data. Like, unless we're working with them on the actual store level uh, for them as the retailer, then, then we'll have all that data. Um, but the short answer is if it's just like a brand, right? Like if I'm walking in and I'm working on behalf of wild, I only want wild's data. Uh, I'm only going to ask to extract wild's data. And then I'm also going to let them know that we're not selling their data to anybody. Like we don't sell our data, period. It doesn't matter who you are, how much you offer us. And believe me, it happens. We're not selling it. Like we're not going to sell it on a retail level. We're not going to sell it on a brand level. Reason being is that data is meant to provide the business intelligence for them to make decisions. If I went and sold that data that shows their other competitors why they're moving things and doing things certain ways, we've defeated the purpose. We're going to cannibalize the market. So, you know, on, on a short answer, it's it helps everybody win and we're not selling anybody's data. So they're more apt to work with us. Uh, if I was asking, you know, if I walked in, I said, I want access to everything. And I gave them no guarantee, you know, no sort of legal paperwork. They would look at me and say, hey, man, piss off. Like, we're not going to give you shit. We don't want you to have access to our stuff. But at the end of the day, that's not what, what's happening in our case, because we don't sell data and we approach it with with the mindset of, hey, we're just trying to help everybody. Um, and that that's been really successful. And in turn, it's really funny because here's what ends up happening on the real end for us is we'll get in with a brand in a retail location and they may be, they may give us access, but be a little weary at first. And then we, we give the brand the scorecard and then we give the retail location a scorecard for that brand. And they see all the detail, the intricacies, the KPIs, and they're like, geez, can you guys do this for everything? And it's like, well, yeah, of course we can. Yeah, we tried to sell you like two months ago. Yeah, we really wanted to help <laughs> you like two months ago, but sure, we can get on board. So, you know, that's that's been kind of our, our, our way um, as far as understanding that side of it. 
Um, but brands really, of course, see the value because they don't get good data as it is. And then retailers decide like, shoot, I really like this data as opposed to mass broad data that's sold to everybody. Right. So, that's, yeah, that's how that's, that's pretty much how we structure it. Right. Like I, I like to say that it's, you know, owner owned, owner operated. So the, the idea there is that, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's your data. Right. So, you know, a retailer being obviously wary of sharing a lot of data out is totally fine and normal. Right. That's that's their data, too. But the argument to that is that sharing it, sharing brand specific data with that brand ultimately is going to help their mm -hmm. store environment anyway. And what are they giving up for it? Nothing. Right. So on the flip side, you know, we could say as part of the scorecard, we can deliver the fact that, you know, a certain brand, okay, you're ranked number four out of six that we carry. And we don't name the other ones, but you're four out of six in terms of how much you're moving within my stores. Right. And then we go on the retailer side, the brands are listed out. So, you know, like your top one, two, three that are really moving the needle. And then you can see where the other ones are, are in relation to it. And ultimately it'll help the retailer make decisions about merch as well. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it's like Reese said, it helps everybody. And if you're clear about what it is in terms of what that data looks like that needs to, that we need to help with that analysis, which is what we do right up front, then it's a no brainer. Then they don't have to have the sales guys from all the brands calling them every other day being like, Hey man, can you export something for me from last month or two months ago? Or, you know, like, and we, that's what we hear from them. Right. So we saw it as a no brainer that helps everybody. And ultimately it's, it should be owner operated and, and something that helps them make decisions, not anybody else. Right. Let, let me just go to one thing real quick to, to give everybody that's on here viewing this uh, an insight for the, for the industry as a whole. We sat with one of the largest brands in the country at a beautiful Spanish restaurant on the beach in Newport. And we asked them straight up, this is a brand with a lot of leverage and power that's national, right? National. Uh, what their data looked like. They're operating about a month behind. Hmm. So they're seeing last month's performance a month late. How do you position how do you manufacture? How do you actually decide you know, with business intelligence what your marketing campaigns truly look like, what your production truly looks like if you're over a month late? Right. Like that's that's what we're trying to fix here. So and, that, and that's one of the biggest names. I won't drop it because I'm not going to. But that is what we're seeing on the on the mm -hmm. ground floor. Yeah. And that sounds, sounds, I would assume that they're probably ahead of a lot of people having, you know, even 30 days prior, right? That's, that's probably ahead of, of where a lot of people are at. What, what are some of the sources you guys need to plug into to, to acquire data? So all we need for what we're talking about right now is point of sale. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of different point of sale systems out there. They vary in capability, vary in a lot of things, right? But the way we've built out our solution is is exactly for that, like to be flexible for that reason. 
Um, so we have some direct API integrations that we uh, utilize with point of sale. And then we also built our, our database and our system to be able to ingest data the same way you would from an API, except through like an auto export. So we would essentially in that scenario, we literally can, you know, screen share if we need to with someone that can set up an auto report from the point of sale. And we just say, okay, these are the fields for the brand that we need, set the auto export and it's done. And it acts just like an integrated mm -hmm. API would. So we built it really flexible for that reason, because ultimately the legwork and the value we bring is in the dashboards we've built, the maintenance of them, you know, the coding and all that stuff that goes into it behind that. Um, ultimately, so that instead of having to have like a full-time analyst or a full-time, you know, data engineer, right, for every brand, which is just not reasonable right now, they can get that same level of insight by just utilizing what we can bring to the table. And on the retailer side, if you think about how easy it is to set up a report one time, set it to auto export and you're done, they're like, okay, cool. Like, and it's only these fields and it's only directly for this brand. Great. Right. Like that's a no brainer for them. So we made it really easy to plug and play in this scenario. And, you know, there are definitely use cases where we can pull in a lot of other data sources and we do that in some cases, but it would be things like loyalty or it'd be things that are kind of, within the same you know retailer ecos retailer brand ecosystem but we would then have some sort of export right from from them that we match up on the back end for us so ultimately it's built to have as many of those sources plugged in as you want but i can tell you that the majority of them is it's just the point of sale and it doesn't even need to be a full-blown api integration that we built out hmm. Hmm. And then how, how do you go about cleaning data, right? Because that's a big thing of how fragmented, I mean, this has yep. got to be one of the more fragmented spaces out there where there is a, a severe need for that. So how do you guys approach that? Yeah, so we, we kick off every relationship we have with what we call a data audit. So what that means is exactly what it sounds like, where we kind of go through and we're just looking at fields, right? We're looking at consistencies across the board when it comes to brand or SKU, uh, we're looking at consistencies around promo tags, if that's part of what we're measuring. Um, and ultimately, it's something that we do for everyone's benefit, but definitely ours too, because we have to have clean data in order to actually produce clean results and results that we know will have insights that make sense and know, know that we're not missing a piece of the puzzle by just assuming that data is clean the brands are the brand fields are cleaned up the inventory is uh you know in the correct space within the point of sale because a lot of those have different functionalities as you probably know um but that's what we do right up front that way when we kick off whether it's a pilot or whether it's a longer term um you know partnership we do that right up front and it's something where we literally take our head of data analytics and we get them in front of someone that can go through the data with them, or we just do the same thing where we export a certain set of fields and we do an audit for them. We help them clean that up so that going forward, everything is going to be clean. And ultimately we've seen a lot of great success and, and a lot of thank yous also, <laughs> um, because yeah. usually it falls on, if it's being done, it usually falls on one person. And it's usually like a director of retail marketing or something that has a thousand other responsibilities, you know, and, Hence the 
30 day, 60 day, 90 day lag of any sort of analysis. Right. Yeah. I think it's really funny too, on the, to piggyback off of that after the data is cleaned uh, and the audits complete, the initial insights that are discovered from that really do shift conversations Hmm. because they're like, Oh, I mean, C-suite member all the way down to like bud tender. Wow. I didn't know that. Like that's a common thing that we hear after everything's clean and presented the first time. It's like, man, I didn't know that that was happening or I didn't realize we were losing that much margin on Tuesdays. Like, you know, to get more specific and yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of thank yous. And then a lot of conversations of, okay, like how do we get better? You know, I, mm-hmm. I equate it to like the kitchen table conversations I used to have with my mom and dad when they, you know, beat my ass and then look at me and say, all right, like you messed up now, how do we get better? Right. Mm-hmm. What can we do and learn from this? And it's uh, it's, it's really insightful and it's really enlightening for them and for us. And it ultimately leads to better decisions. Um, that make everybody a hell of a lot more money. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned, I'm not sure who, who was it mentioned, right? That usually when you're dealing with a company in the space, brand or dispensary, some people don't have anyone designated for marketing. Some people have one, some people have three when they desperately need 13. You know, we're in a startup culture and everybody's got to wear a lot of hats. So what are some of the ways you work with people to make sure that it's just easy on their end and they're able to understand it and use it? Cause that's ultimately like, you know, when we work on behalf of our clients, when we ask whether it's a weed maps, a leafly, whoever, Hey, can you send us the data? I've seen those massive exports. And then we have to further push back. Hey, can you give me some sort of actionable insights or, or some things from this? So we don't have to do that. And we're doing that on behalf of a client. The client is looking at us like, yo, I don't even, I didn't even know to ask that question you know the one question that instead of me trying to decipher it for two hours you push back on them to make it easy so i know it's just one of those things where even people that ask for data whether they no matter how they get it especially if they get a big spreadsheet they still don't even have the time to to dive into it so what are some of those ways you guys work to make sure those people are 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 being able to get actionable insights um while wearing so many hats yeah no it's a great question and so it kind of goes back to the way that we design the business. And, you know, a really important thing for us is to be able to service our clients in the support that we, you know, promise during the sales process, right? So we're not one of those companies where, you know, we promise a lot of support. And then as soon as you sign the deal, you know, see you later, right? Like, we don't have success unless we can make sure our clients are seeing some valuable success or or whatever learnings right whatever it is from what we help them with so we designed it to be really flexible in terms of if there are resources available whether it's on the marketing side or the merch side or the ops analyst side we are very customizable in terms of if you have one of those pieces already great. That's something that we don't need to necessarily provide. So that could be as simple as like the content side of things, right? So in the scenario where they have one people or one person or three people that should be 13 or, you know, whatever it is, right? We make it so what we're doing fits in to their overall strategy and goals. Mm -hmm. And really we partner with them because without that level of partnership and communication back and forth, 
you know, how do we know that we're, we're delivering the results or, you know, the insights that they really want to see. So it's a very much like we're partnered with you. We, you know, on a marketing side of things, it's like, it's very common. And almost every single one of our clients utilizes this option that we give, which is a weekly meeting with the person who's kind of point at the client with an, a dedicated account manager on our side of things that basically can talk about upcoming opportunities for content, talk about past performances for content, same same thing on the data side, review scorecards, you know, provide support on how to utilize it if there's something that they're confused about, right? Mm -hmm. So it's something that we find to be very, very important and very helpful to the, the folks we're talking to because in more scenarios than not, they're missing a piece of that puzzle, right? Otherwise they would have something fully built out like what we're trying to help them with, but where there's lacking resources, people that are spread way too thin, we kind of positioned ourselves to say, okay, how do we help those people and deliver for them and support them ongoing? So all of our partnerships are, you know, I call them partnerships, they're clients of ours, but our partnerships are a year minimum. You know, and we do pilot scenarios here and there to test things out with people, of course. But what we've seen so far is those pilots grow into a relationship where it's like, okay, yeah, you guys are providing some serious value for us. Let's roll you out to more locations or let's go to the next level of support, you know, whatever it is. Either way, it's so key because without that, we, you know, we just don't, we won't grow either. Right. So no. it's, we're adamant about it. Like, I'm very adamant about it with our team. Like, that's the number one priority is taking care of what the clients need. Cause ultimately that's the only way that we continue to grow. It's all relationship based a period like period. And, um, you know, I typically take this on the forefront with our clients. So the way I like to explain it is we're going to grow up with you. Like, uh, we're in a, a new industry that's going to see a lot of changes and, and do a lot of things, uh, in the near future. And, our goal is to just pull up a chair at the table and grow up with you and become a true partner and, and build that relationship. Um, and, and that's why, you know, we're pretty exclusive with who we work with. We don't work with everybody. And the reason is, is because we have a smaller team that really cares, is dedicated. Um, and we're not going to take on anything that we can't deliver and we're not going to spread ourselves too thin. Um, and the, in that, you know, in our opinion, on our side, that creates a ton of value. Um, and not only for, for now, but in the future, being an organization that, that has that reputation. Um, and so that's, that's where I go, man. I just tell them like, Hey, we want to grow up with you. Like if you got an extra seat at the table, let us slide a chair up. Let's get to work. And it, and it sounds like when we're talking on the phone the other day, I, I think you guys were talking, had nothing to do with me, but you guys were talking and it sounded like, uh, Ian was getting some requests from some uh, customers that were outside of the scope of what you guys were doing, but you you seem pretty uh, happy to see, explore to see if that was something that you could help them with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's fun like that though too, right? Because the one thing that I do really enjoy about the the cannabis community in general too is you can find some great partners, you know. And the more you get to know people, there's obvious synergies between you, right? Like. We've got, we have a great partner, more than a few, but we've got pretty much one to two in each component of marketing, analytics, loyalty, et cetera, that we have, we can refer 
for our clients too. So we do that all the time. And I know you guys see that too, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we're the, the example you were talking about is asking me something related to uh, payment processing with, with point of sale systems. So uh, knowing whether or not that's integrated directly, knowing whether it's a third party, you know, and we have experience working with all of them because we have to coexist in terms of we're helping to drive marketing sales etc ultimately when they go to check out it's through the point of sale it's mm -hmm. through the payment pro like so there is synergy across the board and and you know i just love that like i love being able to say hey you don't have a loyalty partner i've got a great great company for you that you know stands for a lot of the same things that we do and here you go you know no no compensation no like structure there just these guys are good guys. They do great work. There you go. Right. So that's fun for me. I love that approach. And I like what Reese said, Grow, growing to get, you know, growing together. Cause like, yeah. and like you said, Ian, like this industry is just being rolled out now, now. And I see a lot of operators that want to buy into something. And obviously you expect if you're, if you're paying for something for it to work, for it to get what you want, but the, the, the shortest sign of like an issue, like jumping ship to the next person, the next person, it's like, Again, the regulations, the tech, the seed to sale, the traceability, what we've seen on the on that level has just been a shit show altogether. And the people that are able to get together and kind of thug it out together and help solve these issues, you know, that that that's what it's all about. Back back in my legacy days, you know, some some crops from, from the grower might not have hit hit the last level, but you know, you have such a good relationship, I, I can move this, right? I might have to lose a little bit of margin, but I'm going to lose some, you know, I'm going to pass some savings on to my consumer because it's not hitting what I want. They're not going to leave me. I'm not going to leave you. And we got to keep this wheel rolling. You know, we, yeah. I can't be like, nah, I'm gone. I got to go find a new supplier. You know, it was, it was all in those days. It was all about for at least my business structure was all about keeping it going and making sure, you know, I always, I use this term a lot, win, win, win. I got to win, the, the end person's got to win. And then usually the people I got to work with to help the end person win, we all got to win. Otherwise, otherwise the wheel's not turning. Love it. I'm all about that. Can we borrow that or is that trademarked? Uh, you know, I'm working on the trademark, but, you know, go go for it. Just, you know, make sure, you know, toss me some credit, you know, time, time, time. You got it. Done book, deal. book coming soon. Win, win, win. You know, it'll be like 15 pages. So it's not much, yep. but, uh, you know, I'm trying to get that book deal. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love uh, it. What, what's what's next for for Tela throughout throughout the the rest of 2022 and, and beyond a lot um, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you Reese you're gonna take this one okay but uh a couple weeks ago Reese and I were finishing up a trip tons of great meetings like I was halfway through the week I was like we're being punked like why is all why are all these meetings going so well why are we moving forward with all these new brands like and Reese was jacked up. And he looks over at me, we're driving. He looks over at me, he's like, are you not jacked? And I was like, Reese, I am very jacked, but you got to realize something. I have a lot of work to do now. And I got to go out and I got I to gotta execute. I got to get all these onboarding processes rolling. I mean, and so he just looks, he started laughing. Anyway, so that's the story I'll tell you. Reese, you can tell him a little bit more specifically about what we're working on and where we're headed. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give names out just because I, I don't kiss and tell, but, um, you know, definitely going to be working with one of the larger beverage brands in the country, uh, rolling out all over, uh, one of the larger cart vape brands in the country, 
one of the larger edible brands in the country that's expanding rapidly. Um, and that's on the brand side. And then from a retailer perspective, relationships and inroads are being made uh, with some of the largest players in, you know, uh, Oregon, Washington, California, Colorado, New Mexico, Massachusetts, Florida, uh, just to name a few. So our retail media network will be expanding rapidly. Um, I would not be shocked if we have, you know, a 500 to 1,000 retail locations by the end of the year. And I would not be shocked at all if, if we have the largest in each of those brand categories kicking in our door saying, dude, these guys are taking market share. We don't know what's going on, but we're getting our ass kicked. What can we do? You know, um, but again, like we're a pretty exclusive group. So we're going to grow up with these people that were the day ones that believed. Um, and we're going to help them crush the space, period. You know, every brand we, we meet with um, that we have met with or continue to meet with, my whole goal is to let them know, like, you're not Coke, Pepsi or Coors yet, but you will be. Mm. And so down the road, when when Ian and I, you know, are, are older, the goal is to be working with brands that are as large as Coke and Pepsi and, and Coors and have the personal relationships with those C-suite individuals and have grown up the entire way with them. You know, like I want them at my kids' weddings and I, I, I want to be involved with their growth and success and hanging out during the summer, going on big lake trips and retreats. Like so one thing we've talked about, not only doing big retreats with our crew, with our family, but bringing our largest clients that have been there since day one on a yearly trip, you know, like go, going overseas to Spain and taking everybody or renting a huge cabin up in Montana and, and having a good time and jet skiing and everybody brings their families. Like that's what we envision um, happening. And 2022 is just the beginning. Hmm. Uh, tell us becoming a household name and, and we're expanding our reach. But I think, I think 2022 is just the start. Like you're going to, you're going to see some great stuff from us. So. I love that, man. Make sure I get the invite to the lake or the yacht or wherever, you know, wherever you guys are going, you, you know, got it. I can man the grill, you know, I can earn my keep. Oh, hey, uh, <laughs> really? Done. Let's do Good it. Idea. Yeah, I get down on the carne asada. You know, the thin, the thin Ooh. steak is real easy. Ooh. It's hard to fuck it up. You know, that, that's, oh, that's, yeah. uh, you buy it pre-marinated. You know, it's, it's easy, easy work, man. Work smarter, bro. That's you're you're aligned with us, right? Like, why spend 25 hours on something when you can do something in a couple hours and on to the next thing? Right. Yeah, I mean. So no, no, I appreciate you guys making the time on here. Uh, you know, we're we're working on some stuff. I don't want to give too much inside out yet, but but you know, RMR, we're working on a project, and and these guys over at Teller are, are going to be a part of it. So we're going to have these guys back on and and showcase some uh, a case study and and how to work directly with brands. Um, you know, here here in some coming months. So you know, people out there on our platform, you're going to see some more more of these guys through us. Uh, Excited to watch the continued growth. Um, I'm just excited, you know, again, as, as someone that does marketing, right? Having data that just is everything, right? And like you said, Ian, like measuring stuff is, is everything. And even if, even in my realm, even if it is simply just brand awareness and not even conversions, like being able to measure things, know what's working, know what's penetrating, know what's creating conversations is so impactful. And then on the agency side, 
being able to look at our, our, our clients' data and understand these are the categories or the brands or the regions, you know, that we need to put more water and sunlight in. Maybe these are the ones we need to nix because it's not not worth our time. You know, the margin's not there. And and without that measurement, without that data, it's so much guesswork. And uh, as you scale, that's really where really where those issues happen, right? Like we were saying early in, in a, an immature market, yeah, the weed sells itself. You don't really need to worry about too much. Um, only having 10 doors is pretty manageable without even a sales director, right? But as you grow 200, 300 stores, it just, those tiny little holes start fucking gushing water out and the, and the ship can sink pretty quick. No doubt. No Everybody doubt. wants to scale, but how do you scale well? Period. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the question. Many are still, even the top brands that people sweat over, you know, they're, they're still trying to figure that out, man. Everyone's still trying to figure it out. That's right. We're, we're all early in this man. So learn and grow. hundred percent. So anyone out there wants more information, teledigital.com. Uh, anything else you guys want to plug real quick? Uh, not on my end. I mean, we just, Appreciate you having us on the show and yeah, you know, we're really looking forward to, to working with you in, in a couple of different ways going forward and really excited just to, to be able to, you know, tell our story a little bit and, and talk to people about what their pain points are and figure out if we can help solve them. You know, that's, that's kind of what, that's what gets me going day to day. So appreciate it. Fire. Well, yeah, thank, thank you guys for coming on here. This is Ian and Reese of Tella. Uh, this is Mitch, Respect My Region, RMR Podcast, episode 46. We'll be back with more episodes next week. I hope everyone has a great 710. If you're you know, a consumer, relax, enjoy. You know, Do it big. If you're a retailer, God have mercy on your soul. I uh, hope you got your sales in order. Um, and all the people out there throwing events, make sure everyone's safe and hydrated, man. We'll be back next week.